Hi, I'm Sebastian Coutillo, and you're listening to Epicenter, the podcast where we interview crypto founders, builders, and thought leaders. Today, we have a real treat for you. We have a conversation with Vitalik Buterin. Sunny and I sat down with Vitalik after ECC in the ECC studio, and we talked for about an hour, mostly about the contents of his talk. So he gave a really inspiring talk during the conference where He expressed his desire for the community to build products that go beyond DeFi, to build products that go beyond things that are financial in nature. And I think this is something that he's been really passionate about for some time now, but he really expressed it clearly uh, during this this keynote presentation. And one of the things that uh, he expressed is his desire for new forms of social media platforms to emerge uh, in the DeFi space. And, you know, the convergence of, you know, scalable layer two technologies and NFTs, I think, um, you know, can really make that possible because we now have the technologies to build scalable social media platforms that can attract, uh, you know, non-crypto users uh, or new types of users uh, to the space. He also discussed uh, another area uh, that he's uh, really into, which is retroactive public good funding and being able to fund things uh, after the fact and sort of flipping the funding model uh, around. And, you know, generally we just uh, talked about, you know, where his head's at currently, you know, with the pandemic and how that may have sort of shifted his areas of focus. Um, So it was a really fun conversation. Uh, It was really kind of like lightweight and uh, just informal and really cool. So uh, after the after the after we we finished the interview, Sunny and I both looked at each other and said, like, this was one of our favorite interviews in a long time. And I think you'll enjoy it as well. Uh, If you're listening to this on the audio version of the show, uh, there's also a full length video um, of this conversation. It's uh, it's on YouTube on our YouTube channel. uh, So check that out as well. Before we go to the interview, though, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor this week. DEXs are great, but they're vulnerable to problems like MEV, failed transactions, and high gas costs. CowSwap tackles these issues head-on and offers a new kind of trading experience. It's built by Gnosis, and CowSwap is a meta-DEX aggregator. That's right, it's a DEX aggregator aggregator. It fights MEV by matching overlapping orders directly, and if no coincidence of wants is found, that's where the cow comes from, coincidence of wants, uh, trades are settled on a variety of underlying on-chain AMMs, depending on which pool offers the best price. So give CowSwap a try and enjoy perks like no gas fees on failed transactions, uh, optimized transaction management for multi-sig and DAOs, as well as some other fun and entertaining surprises. So head over to cowswap.exchange and start swapping today. So without further delay, here is our conversation with Vitalik Buterin. We're here with Vitalik Buterin. And I'm here with my co-host, Sunny Agarwal. Um, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's been a really long time since you've been on Epicenter. So uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have been waiting for this. Um, yeah, so how have, I guess, like, how's, how have you been since the beginning of the pandemic? Like, what, how's the pandemic been treating you? Uh, I mean, for... The, a big part of it, I guess, I was just holed up in Singapore, you know, just uh, having less uh, human context than I had in, I guess, any of the uh, six or seven years previously. So that was okay. interesting, just like focused on some uh, virtual things, also doing a lot of walking and running and just reading and uh, continuing to do all the Ethereum rela- um, related various things, of course. I guess in, in the past year, you know, uh, just, just like last year has been so emblematic, I, I suppose, um, has 
has your sort of focus changed as a result of the pandemic? Has, has the pandemic sort of like awakened things like interests and things that perhaps, uh, you know, how, how has things changed last year for you with regards to Ethereum? It's a challenging question because like at the same time as the pandemic, a lot of things have changed. I mean, a lot, a lot of things about the world have changed. A lot of things about the crypto world have uh, also changed at the same time. Um, I think the most important thing about the yeah, crypto world that's uh, changed in the last year and a half is just like how big it's gotten, right? And like, I mean, obviously, like you can see on the numbers, the price pops and all of those things. But like, there, like that's the, a sign of a bigger thing. And there's other signs too, right? Like there's uh, all sorts of uh, just mainstream figures talking about it. Like even just one example is uh, that uh, tweet um, or that uh, blog post uh, from uh, myself and uh, Jiang and Optim uh, Optimism on our attractive public goods funding. Like uh, Dominic Cummings, one of the uh, top, uh, I think, uh, Brexit people retweeted that. Um, so that was... Uh, and the Obviously, you know, there's all the celebrities focusing on uh, crypto and, um, you know, Elon Musk um, like fumbling around the space in, in, in his own uh, very special way. And like, there, there's just like large percentages of uh, the population in general, like actually have heard of cryptocurrency at this point. And like, this is both good and bad, right? It's good because crypto is not going to slide into irrelevance, but it's also a... Uh, time when we have to think uh, carefully about responsibility um, because we know for the last 10 years of the space have basically been able to hide behind the excuse that hey this is experimental technology and i know that like to most people this seems kind of useless except for some prices going up but it's um, you know really when the technology gets better this is really going to go go, uh, go places and now like it's uh, the technology is uh, close to ready, right? The scaling solutions, lots of them are coming out this year. Some of them are coming out next year. Um, the yeah, uh, ecosystem is maturing in all sorts of ways. Like, uh, you know, proof of stake actually is um, happening. Um, all of uh, a whole bunch of technologies that we've said are happening for a long time actually are happening. And um, there's just a lot of eyes on the space. And so five years from now, we're not going to be able to get away with saying this is just an experiment. So like people are going to need some kind of results from the uh, crypto space. And the f question of like exactly how much value and like what kind of value we can actually provide for people, that's uh, it's something that I think has been on people's minds since the beginning, but I think it just has to be on people's minds in a, in a much more serious way, right? And I think like so far, there is definitely value that has been provided, right? Like, but so far it's mostly been financial. And like there's a lot of financial value that doesn't uh, get recognized, like even just a whole bunch of random people in various countries around the world that just like quietly use it as a way to, you know, send money back to their families or just make international transactions for businesses and all of uh, these things. But like the kinds of hopes that people have on the crypto space, at least from what I've seen, like go even further than that, right? Like even like Tyler Cohen, one of the GMU economists, um, I think has even like called, was it like myself and Balaji, like so, like the, the two most interesting like libertarians or something like this. Um, so what do you think about his whole like state uh, libertarianism? State capacity libertarianism. I mean, it, it's definitely one of those uh, kind of, interesting uh, synthesis uh, perspectives i guess um like i i see i see the philosophy and like i see lots of correct things about the philosophy which is basically that um like 
like surgical higher like high quality smart government action happening earlier can be a substitute for problems that end up creating a trade-off between or end up leading to um, uh, otherwise much more ham-fisted uh, government regulation later like even just covid vaccines were an excellent example of this right like if governments had just gotten off their butts realized the enormity of the problem and just properly like told Pfizer and Moderna, hey guys, like, if you guys figure this out, we're literally going to give you a hundred billion dollar price. Like lots of people would yell and scream at this, but in my opinion, like the world would have been so much better had that happened. Right. And like the problem would have been solved in, you know, like six months instead of 18 potentially. Um, so, and I mean, obviously on top of that also do the work of like clearing off the red tape and all, um, and all of that, but like that requires a actually like skilled response. And mm -hmm. uh, so, that's the like the good side of I guess some of that perspective. And the interesting thing actually is that I think there is parallels between that perspective and things that the crypto space is doing because like the crypto space has these kind of constructs that sometimes get analogized to being kind of like nation states, but also kind of not like nation states. Mm -hmm. And they have these foundations that are kind of like, like governments, but they're also not like governments, right? Like they have a pool of funds that they can use to fund public goods, but they do not have the uh, ability to like enforce and change rules in, the, um, in uh, the blockchain. They can only propose things and then people may or may not accept them. If, if you treat mm. these like foundations as sort of these like mm. public and entities right. um do you think that there's like currently in the space there's a lack of accountability or just like voice that the mm. people of the uh mm. communities have over the their governments or these foundations i think the challenge is that in the crypto space we don't really know how to define or quantify membership right like the cons once you start talking about voice then the question is who deserves to have that voice and the, the, clearly the answer is not like everyone in the world to an equal extent, right? But then what is the answer? And it's a question that actually does uh, like have a lot of meaning, right? Because um, if you go back to say the Dow fork and you remember some of the arguments around the Dow fork, right? Like one of the comments that I remember being made at the time was um, that um, people who were in favor of the Dow fork were arguing that people who were against the Dow fork at the beginning and then people who were in favor of ETC later on um, were just like shills coming in from the Bitcoin side, basically trying to either impose their, their foreign values on the Ethereum community or worse, just like stir trouble and, and create chaos in the Ethereum community because that's good for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Now, my opinion is that like those kinds of perspectives tends to be overblown and people tends to underappreciate that like even, you know, people within their own community tends to like don't sh align exactly on values to the extent that they think they do. But like even still, it would have been interesting if we had like a, a clearer way to know the answer, right? Mm -hmm. And like so far, the ways that we have of defining community membership, they're not very good. Like what is there? Like there's coin holdings, but like in my opinion, coin holdings are an extremely imperfect proxy, right? Like for example, if you compare, I don't know, the number of coins, let's say like Joe Lubin has to the number of uh, coins that, I don't know, like say Tim Baco has, right? Like that's, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's going to end up being pretty lopsided, right? But that's, I, like, let's say that, I don't know what the difference is, but I'm going to guess somewhere between a factor of 100 and 1,000 could be wrong in either direction. Um, but that does not mean that Joe Lubin is like, you know, 100 to 1,000 times more of a, a, a importance to Ethereum than Tim, Tim Baco is. Like, Tim does a lot of important core dev coordination work. And so, like, money is a very uh, imperfect proxy, but then what are the more perfect, what are the better proxies? And, like, there are things like, for example, in the Zcash Foundation, there's, like, this community advisory council, and, like, you know, you're either a part of it or you're not, and it's somewhat more of a kind of, I guess, um, 
Yeah, technocratic uh, design. Um, there's uh, a, obviously just foundations themselves that have kind of even more closed membership. So I think, systems. yeah, exactly. Like I think my answer to the, the, this is that like I don't think there's there is a perfect solution, but I do think we need more thinking, more ideas, and more work on like better approaches. Like I think if we can just figure out like what is a sensible concept of membership, so we can figure out like what is like if we want. To, and what, who are, are we even trying to give representation to, then we've at least made the first step toward like figuring out what the actual problem is, right? And then like potentially governance is going to become easier and like potentially, yeah, you know, there's a, you know, a, a possibility that like it'll actually be kind of more responsive to the community's actual values. And, um, you know, going back to kind of state capacity libertarianism, like even by being more competent at the same time, be more respectful of the yeah, fundamental guarantees that the yeah, community wants to preserve. What are some of the most interesting like experiments that you're seeing right now in crypto of like new ways of defining membership? Hmm. Uh, so aside from coins, um, I mean, there. What what is there? Like there's. There's just like, I guess, the zero to one function where you get one if you put in the tiniest amount of effort, right? Like proof of humanity is one example. Like I think if you do Ethereum governance by proof of humanity vote, like it's not going to be great, but it's actually not going to be terrible either. Mm -hmm. um, like you are still selecting for people who care at least a little bit about Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Now, in the long term, I mean, once like eventually you are going to get like hostile blockchain communities that start like, you know, registering identities and brigading but you know for now it's already an improvement we actually uh, had this in the uh in the cosmos hub launch like there was like the game of stakes thing and you need we use like a passports to like do it mm -hmm. and it you know one validator uh actually just like basically got like a bunch of their community members to like submit passports and they just mm -hmm. civil attacked the game of stakes just to like Mm -hmm. show that show off that they could but like right yeah it's also like philosophically interesting what the dividing line is between a uh, just a successful political campaign and a civil attack mm -hmm. no no gitcoin <laughs> grants has had a lot of like deep philosophical debates about this as well which uh, is also fascinating so there's that I, if you want to get more granular there's like pope tokens right and with pope tokens you know you can have one but you can get five and you can get ten mm -hmm. and so there's like a greater ladder of kind of effort um the gitcoin dao is, is trying this interesting quadratic voting thing where your voting power is i think proportional to the square root of your token counts which could be an interesting 50 50 compromise between coin quantity but also being a more egalitarian um what what other things are there there's you know there's obviously the whole kind of like biology thing of like basically proof of uh, passing through edu education mm -hmm. and um you know getting some kind of proof that uh, you're knowledgeable about some topic um there's i mean there's a collection of of ideas like i think uh, the optimal mix is just or the result is just going to end up mixing a lot of them like we don't really know what that looks like yet and we need to just keep trying more so yesterday during your talk, you 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 talked about DeFi, and uh, I, I guess I, I don't know if lament is the right word, but um, mm. you uh, cautioned perhaps that the, the DeFi space uh, was turning into um, you know something that is far too speculative and mm. of a financial nature, and mm. that it, it seems that you're hopeful that DeFi sort of comes mm. come. I mean, at Ethereum mm -hmm. uh, comes back to its original vision of building you know mm. useful uh, and like utilitarian products. And uh, you said the, the you know the price should be the price of Ethereum should be a consequence of of, of utility. Um, do you think that like Ethereum has gone too far into the financial side of things, and that 
you mm -hmm. know, there isn't enough utility in the mm -hmm. applications that are being built on the platform? I think, I guess I mentioned in my presentation, I do think that the yeah, early kind of dominance of finance is a bit inevitable. Um, I think like the two reasons that I mentioned, right? One is that um, the, like centralized finance is crap to a greater extent than centralized non-finance is crap, right? Like say what you want about like email and how, uh, like if I send uh, a centralized email to someone in uh, Guatemala, they are going to receive it in one second. Now, maybe the NSA is also going to receive it in one second, but like at least the recipient in Guatemala is going to receive it in one second. But if like international bank wires do not work like this, right? And so the level of quality that you need as, or, like basically, it's much easier to be like not only better than C5, but better than C5 by enough to actually get people to switch over on mass. Um, but in the case of non-financial things, like that barrier is smaller, right? So that's fact one. And then fact two is that finance is just more willing to to pay high fees inherently because of what it is. You know, like you're willing to pay a twelve dollar and forty two cent uh, transaction fee to do some like fancy five thousand dollar insta flash of a thing, but like you're not going to be willing to make that um, that much to follow someone on decentralized Twitter. Um, so the like, and this has been my consistent opinion for probably the last five years. Like I think uh, once. Uh, we have solved scaling and fees can go back down. We at least have a fair chance at getting the non-financial stuff to take off. Um, but once, so we'll see, right? Because like this year, what's interesting is that we actually have the scaling solutions, right? Like there's uh, Optimism, there's Arbitrum, there's ZK Sync, um, Loopring, and Starknet. Um, but do you think these like roll-up solutions are, you know, so obviously, you know, as you know, I work on Cosmos. Mm. And so what, what, one of the worries I see is that you have these like great roll-up platforms, but they're, at the end of the day, there's still these generalized chains. Mm -hmm. And I see that DeFi is just going to start dominating these chains as well. And so one of the interesting things we see in Cosmos right now is a lot of the chains mm -hmm. are actually non-DeFi things. I, I think most of them are actually non-DeFi. So we have like Akash Network, which is a decentralized cloud. We have like Sentinel, which is a decentralized VPN. And so I see a lot of these like Web3 and, you know, Stargaze, which is this like social network. Do you think like, it, the way for how, how important do you think like application specific chains or rollups are going to be to sort of giving these non DeFi applications a, you know, I, I'm bearish on that. Um, okay. The reason why I'm bearish on that is that I think uh, the most interesting future applications are not going to be DeFi or non DeFi. I think they're going to be a combination of of like Fi and non DeFi. Right. And I think being able to uh, get benefit from even like tightly coupled composability between like Fi things and uh, non Fi things is going to be valuable. Mm -hmm. um, I think. Uh, in terms of solving scalability problems, like I personally just think that like there obvi obviously yeah, you know any chain if the fees are low, there's going to be certain uh, kind of like use cases that just kind of like flow in there because they have to flow somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like they like if uh, gas fees ever go down to like ten way, then I'm just gonna like use the chain to store an encrypted backup of my hard drive. So yeah. <laughs> like there's always going to be this kind of like you know user my uh, kind of cosmic microwave background radiation, and as a long as uh, the the total level of scalability is high enough that the intersection of uh, you know the the supply with uh, that cosmic microwave uh, you know demand curve is like at a point that's low enough then mm -hmm. like it, whatever people want to do is going to be affordable mm -hmm. um, and like the nice thing about non-defi I think is that non-defi depends on synchronous composability less than defi does and like it's still useful but it depends on like especially even depends on synchrony less right like you don't need five apps to talk to each other in one like atomic transaction. Mm -hmm. And so 
like non-DeFi things, I think we'll be able to bounce between shards or like bounce between rollups more easily. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm confident that you know, in the more mature ecosystem, at least I think they're not going to be screwed over by fees. How much of how much of like to the the degen side of DeFi do you think is a consequence of, uh, you know, it's like general more broad like broad macroeconomic trends of um, mm. decreasing scarcity mm -hmm. in uh, you know in the traditional finance uh, system mm -hmm. with like just like massive mm -hmm. monetary inflation mm -hmm. but on the crypto side also just the ability to just create new assets and i don't know if you're familiar with this idea of financial nihilism but to me like mm. I, I feel that um, the the, uh, the 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 incentive to just like create new assets and like create new forms of value is so high that mm -hmm. There, there's there's a little incentive to say create something that isn't like in a finan financial in nature um, like f for founders but also for like communities that are following those things because they're like sort of naturally going to go to the thing that could potentially um, you know make make them money like I, I tend mm -hmm. to agree with 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 Sunny on this and I mm -hmm. wonder like if you've given any thought to this sort of broader I mean, I macro think trend like. Well, that trend, like, there, there's a few different aspects to that, right? Like, one is this kind of, I guess, um, ideological and philosophical thing of, like, hey, you know, the, like, mainstream civilization is, like, basically bullshit. And uh, so, like, you know, for if, if we're going to make, a, you know, a couple of, like, fire podsies and, uh, like, se uh, send around, like, links to the ENS to them, then, like, that's, that's not doing anything worse than the game. That's just playing the game that already exists. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, that, it's, it's definitely a mindset that uh, I think motivates uh, at least us, you know, some people in the space. So, that, so that's something that exists. Um, there's also the... Uh, um, well, the, the, this question of like, well, you know, if you want to build something meaningful, then like to what extent um, is uh, this possibility hanging there of like building some DeFi thing and potentially getting more money more easily? Like to what extent is that, take, is, um, that taking away from uh, the, uh, uh, from your motivation to do that? I mean, I think my answer is uh, short term, it definitely can. Um, long term, it won't. And I think part of the reason is like it's a there's a common meme that right, that the crypto space is more productive in bear markets, mm -hmm. and like I think I think it's true in my uh, observation it's true, and it's definitely true that in the short periods of time during which like there are these big bull cycles and everyone's uh, just uh, you know making uh, ten thousand dollars a day from just mm -hmm. like sitting back on their chairs like there's there's less motivation to do anything, um, but. At the same time, like those phases are illusory, right? And uh, you might think that you're earning ten thousand dollars a day, and that's a replacement for your job. But then, when the bear cycle comes, you lose it all again, and then you're you're going to be sad you didn't you you weren't actually doing anything substantive. Um, so, eventually, these things do like burn out, right? Like eventually, like if making a some crazy financial contraption actually is more profitable than doing other things then at some point enough people are going to do it and people are going to start doing it really even like really formulaically until like that stops being true uh, so i'm i guess optimistic in the medium and long term though at the same time like i do think that it's not a given like i think that it's also important to uh, kind of explicitly uh, talk about support and spread the ideas and culture of uh, building things that are not just financial, like both to like, let, let people who have those ideas know that, you know, there are other people who also, um, who also feel that way, kind of give them some kind of fr framework to start with. Um, and just like point out to people in general that like, this is a community where you can come and uh, do those kinds of things. 
Like I think communities that don't do that, right? They're gonna end up just like degrading into being like financial whatevers, right? Like uh, you know, like Binance Smart Chain, you know, it's not going to be the uh, like a locus of like you know super meaning like meaningful like uh, revamp social media to improve humanity type of projects. Um, do you think that this like degenification of hmm. everything? So you mentioned the, the talk yesterday about like is the price the product, mm-hmm. and that's not, we don't want that. But it seems like, you know, I think what we saw with, like, the Wall Street bets stuff that happened earlier this year, where it's like mm. this whole the price is the product idea mm. is mm. spreading even, you know, you have, like, meme coins, like, for yeah. Dogecoin, maybe the price is the product. Mm-hmm. But, like, for stocks, they're supposed to be something that's more utility-driven, mm-hmm. but, like, well, now Agreed. GME is the price is the product. Yeah. And do you think this was, is there something in our culture that's, like, leading us this way or did we just like pull the rug back pull up the covers and it turns out you know we just this has always been the case and it's just more transparent now again i guess uh, gambling has been like a human cultural universal for thousands of years right but how do we but how do we the over gamblification of Mm. all things like you know let's say you know Mm. there's a lot of really useful DeFi products Mm -hmm. that are like you know have like utility and Mm -hmm. but i feel for a lot of them the price has, is slowly starting to become the product rather than the actual product itself. Do you think that's a long-term property of the space or do you think that's a property of the bull market? Because we have been in two, into two years of a bull market now. Right. So I guess we'll see how people think in 2022. Right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. like, in, like if you remember even going back to how you thought in 2019 and how you thought in 2017, for example, like I would bet that your perspective right now is probably more similar to your perspective in 2017 to your perspective in 2019. Right. right? Because, uh, you know, in 2019, like nobody had the ability to say the price is the product. Right. Ex- except die. So I remember a little while ago you... Ha- you I don't remember how long ago, but it was like you said like DeFi and like Bitcoin-esque stuff is solving the problems of the world in 2008, but those aren't necessarily the problem, the biggest problems of the world today. Mm-hmm. What would you say are the biggest problems of the world today that we should be thinking about? Mm. Um, I mean, I actually, uh, well, I talked yesterday once again about this uh, concept of just coming up with ways to improve social media, right? Like, I think that's, like, that's a big, like, cultural and mechanism design and, like, very interdisciplinary problem. And it's an important problem. And, like, it's an important problem for lots of different communities for lots of different reasons, right? Like, there's, like, we're getting all the problems at once, right? Like, you get the, uh, like, the censorship and the arbitrary deplatforming that happens in a uh, just extremely closed and uh, not, and uh, non-transparent way. Um, there's uh, the... Um, just very poor quality. Like, mm-hmm. I can't have conversations on Twitter anymore. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. Buy some Shiba. Buy some Harmony Dollar Sign 1. Harmony Dollar Sign 1 is the best cryptocurrency. Look at it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, the, um, and there's um, just, um, you know, the ways in which, like, engagement is uh, misaligned with, uh, kind of, like, any longer-term goals that pretty much, like, any reasonable person has. Um, so, like these are all important problems, and like I talked about, why I think crypto has some unique and uh, interesting tools for solving that problem, and I think like uh, we could be doing more to try. Right? Do you think that the that the um, so the the explosion of NFTs and like all the standards around NFTs, and combined with that, um, you know, layer twos being more like being ready and like being more available. Do you think that the combination of these two technologies can be can make it such that now 
you know, because there's been so many attempts of doing mm -hmm. decentralized uh, mm -hmm. uh, social networks. And you, you said that, like, uh, you know, BitClout and all these things were not graveyards, but I mean, like, mm. relatively speaking, they're graveyards compared to, like, the Facebooks and stuff. But do you sure. think that these technologies and, and sort of, like, their convergence and uh, mm -hmm. can, can, can um, be the catalyst for, you know, decentralized social networks to finally emerge and, like, have... Yeah. sufficient like network effects right i think a really underrated aspect of the crypto space is just how it's like in the wake of just being a financial like a dgen ape eco whatever system it's also creating network effects that could be pick piggybacked on for very meaningful purposes right like one um, example of this that's i think a little different from what you were saying is um like how just giving everyone public keys and creating a registry of public keys has been a dream of the cypherpunk since the 1990s, right? Like everyone wanted to have just like a, just a society where just everyone has a key and you can just like go and send an encrypted message to someone and it doesn't require any, uh, any, any kind of extra setup, right? But that, those PGP webs of trust and never will end up take, taking off. But now, you know, we have everyone's got an Ethereum wallet, or at least everyone within the community has an Ethereum wallet. So it's not the world, but it is a subset of the world that talks to each other. Um, and, you know, everyone in the, they've got either a MetaMask wallet or a status wallet or some other kind of Ethereum wallet, or it could also even be a hardware wallet. So on top of the just having keys, there's even this powerful ecosystem of uh, coming up with better ways of storing your keys. And you can use those keys for signing, and potentially you could also use those keys for encryption. Um, I think like ethmail.cc was like trying to do an encryption. I mean, I think that that's something that should be standardized much more, potentially, yeah, and like turn into some kind of standard um, so then once you have an account, you can use that account to log into things. And so basic, and then at this also what we have is you have just a community of people who have common values and interests, right? And who, um, talk to each other. And that's also an excellent, uh, uh, bootstrapping ground for any kind of, uh, system, right? Like new projects that were demand on, depend on network effects can take off. Like they just need to have seed communities to take off in, right? Like a Facebook started with, I think it was Harvard college students, right? Mm -hmm. So like why why can't uh, the next uh, generation of like actually good social media take off starting from the crypto community do, do you think it's possible to or do you think it would be beneficial to bootstrap off of the existing identity systems so for context um so I, mm. two years ago at eth waterloo i created a something called Sheetcoin, mm. which was a way of like moving eth onto a google sheet and mm. blah 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 but i actually met someone at the hack uh, at ecc Mm -hmm. uh, yesterday, and he was really excited about Sheetcoin mm -hmm. because one of the things that we did was we actually made it so you can send to an email address, mm. and then we actually like sort of hacked Google OAuth right, to right, allow right. us to verify RSA on like Ethereum, and we got mm -hmm. Google to sign. But the coolest part is I could send to people's email addresses. Mm -hmm. Everyone already has an email address; mm -hmm. not everyone has a private key yet. And then you use that as an onboarding flow into when they want to come onto main chain, then they can uh, receive, you know create a private key then. Mm, I mean, I, that sounds both enticing and scary. Mm -hmm. um, enticing because like, I actually want to like directly compete with Google and, and the Twitter on the identity side and not yeah. uh, entrench them. But and also, you know, enticing because like, the, I mean, that definitely is a very fast onboarding process that like, it does mm -hmm. for a lot of users have higher security than a wallet they might lose the keys for. You could have an influencer who wants to airdrop an NFT to 
right, all their right. followers, you can just snapshot their yeah, followers. Yeah, totally, right. I mean, I think like, Polymarket also, like, they, they were using magic links, right? So we're basically mm -hmm. doing a very similar thing. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, and, uh, that's definitely interesting. Um, I'm also bullish on social recovery. Like, I think mm -hmm. social, because social recovery, in my opinion, is, like, a very, like, a, noob friendly way of um storing like just having accounts because like even people who are very non-technical like they can understand the concept of like here i'm selecting 10 people and i trust at least five of them right so that's something like if we just come up so i think that's good for onboarding but at the same time like i do also want to uh, kind of onboard people like not just onto an application but actually properly on those kind of mm -hmm. accounts that gives them that's within the crypto ecosystem? When it comes to social media, um, you know, there's one view of crypto, which mm. is that like, it's about making scarcity more legible. Mm. And so what do you, have you heard of like the friends with benefits community and that token? Well, I mean, the concept of friends and benefits is that like what you have like a sexual relationship and then you're also, a, you know? <laughs> there's a token. That was... oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. They yeah, just like <laughs> took this category of human activity and they made a token of it. No, no, no. So, so, so it's um, by uh, Trevor McVedries. He's uh, he created this he has a company called Brud. Uh, he came really you know, a lot from the NFT space, but they basically created this community, which is like token gated. And you like, you know, everyone who's in the community has an opportunity to invite the friends with benefits name is just a, a little okay. bit of a meme. Oh, but like, okay. what do you think? Do you think that what are the, I guess maybe another way is like, what are the applications of blockchains that can help social media? Like, you know, the, mm. we talked a lot about cryptography, you know, everyone having a private key. Mm -hmm. That's great. But is there anything about this blockchain thing about scarcity right. or anything that can happen? So I think like two possible, two or three possible directions. One of them is accounts and just the concept that like you could basically have an account that is multi-platform. Mm -hmm. um, and the interesting thing about ENS names, right, is that they're an account that is multi-platform and they're all, and they're a name that is multi-platform that people are willing to use as a name, mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, the only other like really widely adopted multi-platform accounts would be like email addresses, but like nobody wants to use your email address as your name, right? Like it's I think it's because of uh, like names are self-expression, and like you're okay with um like like well, what's your ENS name? Sunnya97.eth. Yeah, Sunnya97.eth, right? Like that's the handle I use. Every yeah, time. like that's uh, like a you know it's 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 something that you know you'd be happy to use as like one one of your names, but like having something at gmail.com as your name, like it feels like you know like awkward. Yeah, like why why would I want to be like basically wearing a Gmail pride sticker but, as part of my name? But so um, Balaji has the other take, right? Where he's like he you know he's been pushing recently that everyone should have their own personal domain and like so your email address is oh, I'm not gonna say it, but um. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it it is more personal. It's not at gmail.com. Right. So what do you think about that view? Yeah. I mean, that's also possible. But, like, in practice so far, like, that's not – there aren't really easy-to-use tools for that. And there isn't really a good incentive to make easier-to-use tools for that. Because, yeah. like, centralized people, they don't want to build tools. They want to build empires, right? right. And Web3 Web space is all about fewer empires and more tools. Mm -hmm. But there isn't a natural – incentive to build a tool. The natural incentive is to build an empire so you can capture the network effect. So right. like there's, yeah, the, the incentives to like actually build the uh, tools to make it easier to work with having your own domain name, like don't seem like they're there. Whereas with a, uh, like a, a crypto based name, they kind of like, they are there, um, mm -hmm. but uh, to like to some extent, right? Because I um, mean, you know, you have the 
crypto tokens and foundations and like grants and all of, and projects and all of these entities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess this was a this was a digression, right? Because like the names are only one at one one aspect of uh, where I think crypto is interesting, right? So identifiers that are like accounts that are also that that also have nice names is one. Another is. Uh, a lot of people try thinking about improving social media are interested in this concept of uh, a kind of content view separation, right? So you there's like the content layer where anyone can just publish whatever content they want, and like maybe you can bundle in a bit of anti-spam, and like either it's on chain or it's on some whisper-like network where if you have an identity, you can send maximum n things every day, mm-hmm. um, and then the views are interfaces that look at that information and show you some of it in some order. And if you want to have content view separation, which is really powerful because instead of uh, different platforms having totally being separate from each other, different views can still share most of the same network effects. Um, But the content has to be on some credibly neutral ground. And like decentralized cryptographic networks are an excellent kind of of, uh, cryptographical neutral ground. So that's number two. Um, And then number three is incentives, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't know exactly what is the correct way to incorporate incentives and uh, crypto social media. Mm -hmm. I know that there's definitely like a lot of very wrong ways to do that, but I mean, I'm sure there's some like potentially correct and very powerful ways too. Mm-hmm. But if you want to do that, then like the blockchains have their own financial layer built in, which is like which makes them once again like, like I think a really powerful ground for doing this sort of stuff. So so those are the three areas where I see it, like why I see the crypto space is sort of naturally fit to do something. So during your talk, you you also uh, discussed uh, retroactive public good funding, which is mm. a concept that was new to me, and I thought it was mm-hmm. really interesting. So, um, what what is retro retroactive public good funding, and why do you think mm. it's interesting? Sure. So the concept of uh, retroactive public goods funding is basically that like, you would have some mechanism that decides like what projects uh, are important and like what projects are good and provide or, and what projects deserve funding because they provide like value just to a community and it funds them. But the difference from a grants program is that a grants program is proactive, right? It's like it gives you a hundred thousand dollars because you wrote up a plan for how you believe that you can use this thousand a hundred thousand dollars to do good things and like here's some reasons why it's credible but here it's uh, giving grants after the fact to projects that have already shown some uh, some value and this is coupled with basically like a yeah, prediction market through an investment ecosystem right so like one of the ways of doing this uh, well what obviously you, you you could just as a solo developer develop something like spend your own time work for free um, and then if you create something that's really valuable then like after two years you get a bigger attractive grant and it was all worth it but what you could also do is you could um, do you issue what, what I call project tokens right so you just create a project token for a project and you could set up some allocation mechanism anyone who uh, contribute contributes to that project gets some project tokens um, you could even sell some project tokens on Uniswap and then the project tokens become tradable and I mean, think about it ETH was that right like ETH was a project token for this yeah. world computer definitely um, and 
the idea would be that like these the, the this uh, retroactive grant mechanism would then uh, basically just buy up these uh, project tokens after the fact right and so not only do the founders of the project uh, benefit but also anyone who bought into the project token and so um gave the uh, pro gave the founders like funding in like you know fiat or ether or, like whatever normal currencies um to actually like do the work ahead of time um th they would also get rewarded for that right so i think the core principle behind retroactive public goods funding is um, that like institutions in general, like I think they're either centralized or they're decentralized. If an institution is centralized, then it ends up excluding a lot of important perspectives. And if an institution is decentralized, it's conformist, right? And those are both problems. And so, but in both cases, um, it's uh, easier for something conformist um, uh, to be right about retrospective questions, to be right about what, what already was important than it is for something to conformist to be right about prospective questions right um and if we look back on the last 50 years we can say like yeah you know, certain vaccines were yes cer certain vaccines like, were very important were for humanity, humanity but yeah. you know, had we thought about that 50 years ago perhaps it would not have been that so right exactly like i think um like you like take life extension research for example right like this is sort of my one of my pet um entrepreneurial public goods that i think is really important like there's like someone like aubrey de gray like he has just been working really hard on just making life extension research happen ever since you know the early 2000s or pretty much nobody believed him and like there just isn't an institutional structure by which people who believe in these kinds of things ahead of everyone else get any kind of uh, reward for it mm -hmm. um like and so just, like if that kind of structure existed, then like you know Aubrey could have gotten quite a bit more uh, kind of like fire uh, economic firepower behind him much more quickly. Um, uh, would that also work for it's like private investment? Do you think mm -hmm. that there could be like retroactive VC investment or this? Well, I mean, I think like VC investment already is retroactive investment, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, like the VC investment itself is proactive. The thing that's retroactive is the exit, right? Mm -hmm. So like a lot of the VC ecosystem is already implicitly a retroactive grants program. Because there is an entire set of startups whose exit strategy is entirely, entirely designed on the possibility that they'll just get bought up by Facebook and Google. Yeah. Like this is this literally exists, right? And there's plenty of startups that just pitch to VCs that this is a possible exit for us. So and, you, okay. Yeah. So like basically, I think. Just to a large extent, this already exists in the startup space. And I'm just trying, like, retroactive public goods funding is about taking that same principle and, like, basically making an equivalent version of that, but where the metric people are optimizing for, instead of just being, like, profit generation or satisfying the desires of, uh, you know, the, the Zuck or the Sergey, it, like, it is something that tries to approximate a, a, a community's values and, like, the public good more. So do you think DAOs are good at doing this? Because one of my worries right now is that DAOs are mm -hmm. a little bit too short-term thinking. Mm -hmm. to, and, and so an mm -hmm. example I'm thinking about is on Uniswap, mm -hmm. you know, there was a proposal to do a $30 million grant mm -hmm. to get development. And a lot of people were like up in arms, like, oh, mm -hmm. my God, this is so much money. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, don't you understand that this is actually a retroactive grant for like all the work that the Geth team has done for the last four years? Mm -hmm. But So do you think that DAOs, this like decentralized collectives will ever be as on being able to play long-term games as like, for example, maybe more centralized institutions can. Hmm. And DAOs are definitely conformist, at least in their current form, right? And it, it's hard to say things about DAOs as a category because DAOs are a much broader category than like DAOs as they exist today are. Mm -hmm. um, but 
DAOs are definitely conformist, and so a DAO that ha that ha whose governance is like constrained to give retroactive uh, grants, like, is something that could potentially be quite powerful, uh, mm -hmm. potentially more powerful than a DAO that's uh, giving proactive grants, right? Because uh, like make like in order to succeed, you have to make some risky bets about the future, and a conformist system is just not going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so, make like. Can you, can you describe a little bit what conformist versus non-conformist means? I, like basically the just uh, making this like only taking actions on the basis of uh, viewpoints for which there is already consensus. Okay. I'm, one of the things you mentioned in your talk mm -hmm. was about how we have to make sure crypto continues to align with our values. Mm. As the community grows, mm -hmm. how do you, we think like we the values? shift as well so one of the things is like you know mm -hmm. nfts right mm -hmm. the, this or I, I, don't, I don't like calling things nft movement because i think nft is like a technical term let's call it the digital art movement um sure. that has brought definitely a big cultural shift right mm -hmm. we've brought it and it, it, i think it has some good aspects like you know i think that that friends with benefits community mm -hmm. is something that really i don't would i think only would have come out of the kind of person who came from the digital art world mm -hmm. But at the same time, it brings like those crypto influencers who are shilling Ethereum Max, and how right. do we like? So how do you like? Well, was the was the Ethereum Max thing even connected to NFTs? I thought that was just like a oh. garden variety shitcoin. But, but the, it's, no, it's not connected to NFTs. But it, right. the people it targeted, like the Kim mm. Kardashians, right, right. these are people who came into crypto mm -hmm. from via this digital art movement. Mm -hmm. And so, how do you sort of how do you think the culture and mm -hmm. values? have to evolve mm -hmm. or try to, or how do, yeah, how do you think it goes forward as the, as the scope and yeah. of crypto? I mean, I don't think the NFT space was like net bad, even as far as scamminess goes, because like, mm -hmm. you know, there's definitely specific examples of um, like scammy people in projects that either are NFTs or got, were inspired by the um, NFT space. But like before NFTs existed, there were a lot of that, right? Yeah. Like no one said the, there weren't scams before. Right, like <laughs> the, the, the other person who, uh, who came to Bitcoin Miami with an Ethereum, with an Ethereum max t-shirt, which is like, I don't know, like such a Chad move in a very dark way. Cause he just like totally yeah, discredited himself in front of both the Bitcoin and Ethereum communities <laughs> in one move. Um, but like he, um, even, I believe even in 2018, right? Like he, uh, I think, I was uh, sued by or by the SEC, I believe, for like shilling some other like very scammy project, like ICO project, mm -hmm. right? So, like he was definitely not brought into the space by NFTs. Like this mm -hmm. was just, um, you know, he, he seems like a yeah, honestly, yeah, not very joyful fellow who also has multiple domestic violence convictions, who like also is interested in shilling stuff, uh, but. The, um, so those kinds of people exist and like anything that has money is going to attract those kinds of people. Um, but the thing that NFTs um, brought that I like is just like it, it did bring cultural balance because like it brought this kind of, like, community that cares about artistic things and um, that is less kind of, like purely money oriented. And like if it was if Ethereum was just the NFT community, it would have it, it, like very weird excesses of its own. Mm -hmm. But it's a it's a good complement and it's a good balance to like what was there before the NFT community, which is like the DeFi community. And then the DeFi community itself was uh, an improvement to what was there before, which is the ICO mm -hmm. community. Right. So mm -hmm. like whatever the flaws of the new thing. You know, you, you do have to, I think, also think about it. It's like, remember the yeah, often even crazier older things that came before. And mm -hmm. 
to me, it actually does feel like, you know, the craziness is slowly decreasing and the um, interestingness is increasing. And like, especially, like if um, after NFTs, we start talking about like crypto social, you know, there are going to be crypto social things that like we at, um, you know, Epicenter 2023 um, are going to can just laugh at and, and consider to be totally like you know crazy but uh, yeah, put these logos back here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. i mean no, no status is fine um but uh, like it's uh, the thing but at this i mean at the same time there's going to be a lot of like actually like genuine and very interesting uh, crypto social stuff happening too um mm-hmm. so i think the other thing right is that it, it, ethereum as it's growing it's uh like Early on in Ethereum's history, you could call Ethereum a community, but now I think Ethereum, like, it's not a community, it's an ecosystem, right? And ecosystems, like, there's definitely a lower level of cohesion that you can expect from an ecosystem, but that's okay. That's, like, the the price of growth and the price of, like, getting past a higher power of Dunbar's number, right? But at the same time, like, in an ecosystem, there are sub-communities, and... As long as there are like meaningful subcommunities that are doing things that uh, like we find important, then like, the, the good work continues to be done. So I guess one last thing mm. I want to talk about is, um, you know, there. I know you like Tyler Cohen's podcast. Um, mm. So there is another uh, well-known <laughs> figure who has also been sued by the SEC that has also been uh, very active in mm. crypto recently. Yeah. So overrated, underrated, Elon Musk. What do you think his game here? Like, what do you think? Is it is he just trolling, or do you think there's like something, a larger thing that he's pushing for? I think people overstate the extent to which he is um, like he has some really deep like mm-hmm. scheming and thought behind uh, the way that he is um, approaching crypto. Like yeah. I think he's just like a fun computer geek who likes dogs. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and like he, he's clearly attracted to um, some of uh, the ideals and values behind crypto, and that's um, you know that, that it's just something that he's excited on, and he is um, acting on that excitement, and I think that's a uh, totally healthy thing to be doing. Um, but at the, I mean, at the same time, obviously, there's definitely been you know big mistakes in the way that he's handled it. And like, oh, I love Bitcoin, and oh, actually, wait, there's all these environmental issues, and then oh, Doge, um, <laughs> and oh, so, and then like also like. I don't have the highest view, for example, of uh, like the way that he just kind of like walked into the Dogecoin community and like he's just basically acting like he can be an important figure inside of it. Like yeah. I don't know. Like my own personal style is that I think like if I wanted to join a community and become important uh, in it, I I would do some significant good thing for the community mm. first and then chill second. I'd like to see him do some development. I mean, yeah, exactly. To- like if he even if all that he does is like donates, um, you know, fifteen million dollars to a doge dev fund like that that yeah. would be amazing right so you know elon if you're listening to this like if you <laughs> if you just donate 15 million dollars to a doge dev fund then i'm sure you know doge people you know including myself i'm a doge person will uh, definitely have uh, a lot of respect for you for that so i got you a gift which is Ooh. a pair of shiba pajamas <laughs> oh amazing hopefully you can't dump these ones hmm. <laughs> hmm. um but yeah so okay yeah i i i think it's you know it's funny i actually Aww. Before I started my current project, Osmosis, I was thinking about um, building a how to get Dogecoin onto proof of stake. Mm-hmm. And I started like kind of implementing it and I spent like a week really looking into it. Mm-hmm. And I came away with the conclusion that uh, no one's interested in Dogecoin anymore. Not worth my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe I was a bit wrong about that one. But mm-hmm. 
So let's let's wrap it up here. Uh, but uh, before we do, uh, you know, we, we talked about the, about the space growing and everything, and you talked about in your talk about like you know aligning values and you know aligning what's useful. Um, how do we ensure that you know we sort of like stick to you know the initial values and the sort of initial principles, and like how does that not get diluted with you know like an influx? I mean, you may have noticed like there's a lot of a lot of OGs here, but there's like a lot of new people too, which is great because it, it brings in like all this sort of like new energy, mm-hmm. but it can also dilute some of the values and some of the things that we, you know, as like the, you know, initial community building Ethereum think is, are, are useful. Um, what, what's your, what's your advice to say to the community to like stay true to like the, your, your, your initial vision and sort of like the, the initial vision for Ethereum? I mean, I think like either like, come up with an idea and actually like build some interesting project or like find like look at the things that already exist and participate in them. I mean, one very concrete example is status, right? Like it's a, a decentralized messenger. It's like, well, it's right there. It's one of the sponsors. Yay. Um, everyone uh, bow down to the sponsor status, um, st- uh, status.im. Um, so the, um, you like, you know, I, like it's a decentralized messenger. You know, like it uses like Waku, which is basically like a, a fork of a Whisper. I'm um, under the hood. Uh, it's got it's got a built-in crypto wallet. Like it's uh, a, it's also not a ghost town. There's actually a lot of discussion and activity happening inside of it. The quality is like it's not perfect, but it's like slowly improving, and I think it's usable as a messenger at this point. So like you can just like. Can I move my family chat to, to status? Do you think? I actually, yeah, no, I, I actually literally think that it's uh, that like it is ready for that now. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. So, like, actually, go, yeah, signal was hard enough. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, I'd go around and actually like uh, look into all of these things and like, try actually using them. Great. And um, one thing that's been on my mind since this morning, what's this whole Mina Kunis, uh, Ashton Kutcher, like how did this come together? Like what is going on here? <laughs> I don't know. Like some, like uh, a friend um, introduced me to Ashton and like, he is, uh, he's actually been inter- well interested in crypto for some time. I think I even might like met him a few years ago at some point. Um, so he is, you know, also interested in crypto things. And I mean, he and Mila are also interested in NFTs and they're just interested in kind of like finding their way around the space and making something meaningful out of it. I think that's great. Yeah, that'd be terrific. Hmm. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, it's hmm. been a pleasure and uh, hopefully we'll see you again next yeah, year no, no, if this event happens again. Yeah, no, thank you for the interrogation. It's been great. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a Google Home or Alexa device, you can tell it to listen to the latest episode of the Epicenter podcast. Go to epicenter.tv slash subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you get new episodes in your inbox as they're released. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we're always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week. <laughs>